Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the Word. God bless you. Amen. Who's looking forward to Easter? I love, I love Easter. Listen, if, uh, you know, Easter with all the things we've got, you know, face painting and eggs and Easter bunny and services and there's more room at the 7.30 and the 1 than there'll probably be at the 9 and the 11 and all that kind of stuff. With all of that going on, sometimes it can be easy to, to lose the main thing. It can be easy to lose the main thing. You know, even with, with heroes at the hero rehearsal on Friday night, but I had to ask myself, is the main thing the main thing? Because we can get so caught up in theatrics and songs and production and presentation, do people still see the story? And just, just so you know, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. They were so caught up, they went, they went down to the temple for Passover, they're down there, and Jesus is like, the, that's the whole reason you've got him. And they just supposed he was among the crowd. And three days, three days later, they realized, oh, my gosh, we've lost Jesus. Like you had one job, one job. <laughs> now, listen, I've lost my kids in the mall and it's easy. I pray to God and he helps me find them. But how do you tell God you lost his only begotten? <laughs> God? Yes. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> uh, where, where's my son? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you look quite anxious. <laughs> anyway, and so, uh, so keeping the main thing, the main thing, you know what the main thing is? If you take nothing away from next week, understand Easter Sunday is resurrection, is resurrection. It's called Good Friday. I used to, it used to be puzzling. Why would they call it Good Friday? Did you see what happened, what they did? The most innocent human that ever walked the planet they beat him and crucified him. How is that good? Man, you guys are weird, you Christian people. Going on about being washed in the blood of a lamb. That's gross. Yeah, I understand how gross that is. Those Christian people are weird. They call Good Friday Good Friday. But it was good for us. Obviously not for him, but it was good for us. Jesus was uh, crucified in, just outside of Jerusalem in Moriah. Moriah means bitterness of God. Bitterness of God is where God knew to redeem mankind. It would be a bitter pill that he had, but he was willing to do that so that you and I could be free for all eternity. But I want you to understand on Friday, Jesus atoned for our sin. But on Sunday, he conquered hell and death. So I want you to understand that Sunday is resurrection. And when you come into this house, we, we, we kind of don't do well, if I was honest with you. Probably the lamest thing that we can do here is teach religion. Uh, what we teach is life principles. We teach, the, the, we teach the Word of God. And the Word of God says that the Spirit that is in you is the same Spirit, Romans 8, 11, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's why you'll hear story after story of people that come in and they come in with broken dreams or broken relationships or, or the devil has killed this or killed that job or killed owning a home or killed this hope. or ki- But 
Jesus died on Friday, the devil was happy. In fact, all the demons thought, oh, you the man. Lucy, you the man. You said you were going to kill God. You killed God. But he didn't stay killed. He didn't stay dead. Sunday, Jesus said, yeah. Yeah, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt and rose again, conquering death, conquering hell, crushing the devil's head. So I want you to know that this house is a resurrection house. It's a place where dreams are resurrected, hopes are resurrected. It's a place where relationships and, and, and aspirations, God is a resurrection God. So not only is Friday awesome because all my sins were forgiven and atoned for on Friday, Sunday I get to live this sinless life in power. I get to live this life in Christ with power, with resurrection power. And so next Sunday, come on Sunday. And just remind yourself, I don't know about you, but I need to remind myself that with all the, all the chaos in the world and all the crazy in the world and all the anguish and all the disappointments and all the things that didn't work out the way I was hoping for, that I need, can, need to come to a house where I'm reminded that the spirit living in me is the spirit of Christ and it is a resurrection spirit that with God all things are possible and I just got to stay with God and I dwell in the all things are possible network. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Well, come with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. In the name of Jesus, Deshaun, I'm going to get through all three points. I failed miserably in both morning services. The 8.30 and the 10. And Pastor Becky just had a, a bit of a powwow with me. And she said, this could be the last time you preach at Balboa if you don't get through all three. And I mean, she, she can be strong. Ask Pastor John. You need to pray for Pastor John. <laughs> I said, Becky, I'm going to do my best. But, you know, like, hello, like, you know. And she's like, well, you know, all right, all right. I don't control the, the, the preaching roster. Pastor Summer does, she says. But if you don't want to go out to your car bleeding, you'll get through it. No, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. She didn't. Too far. All right. Luke chapter 2. People are like, uh-oh, what kind of church is this? <laughs> We have, we have a little too much fun sometimes. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. No doubt when angels just appear in the sky and start, oh, you know, it's going to be freaky. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of, of great joy. Not just joy, but I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Right now we're in a series called There Was Great Joy in the City. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, even though today is Palm Sunday, and this kind of scripture is more of a Christmas scripture than an Easter scripture, because today Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And uh, I just love that about Jesus because he doesn't have an appointment with the crucifixion till Friday, Andre, but he's there Sunday. He's there early. Punctuality. You know, even God is punctual. He's got a crucifixion to go to, but he rides in a few days early so he can get everything. He can get himself prepared. Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Last Supper. He's got everything doesn't have to, he doesn't kind of ride in on Thursday and guys, guys, I'm sorry I'm late. Uh, you meant to crucify me. No, he's, he's in there early. He's here in, in there early. 
But I, I felt this one because of the, 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 the great joy, and it'll tie in. So there was great joy, which will be to all people. Well, you notice it says all people. Great joy to all people. All people. Doesn't matter which side of the border you were born on. Doesn't matter which side of the tracks you were born on. To all people. How many people know the gospel works in Germany, where I was born? Gospel works in Australia, where I grew up. The gospel works in America. It works in Canada. It works in Mexico. It works in Madagascar. It works in Ethiopia. It works in Israel. The gospel works. It's for all people. The great equalizer of the earth is the gospel. The great equalizer is the gospel. We don't need another gospel. We don't need another gospel. The stuff that they're teaching in schools to replace the gospel doesn't unify. It divides. It divides according to, to racial lines, things that you and I had no control. I didn't get to choose my height. I didn't get to choose my complexion. I didn't get to choose my genetics, my DNA. I didn't get to choose any of that. A lot of people going, to, you know, through the 23andMe and, and they're, oh my gosh, you know, like my, so funny, my beautiful daughter-in-law just recently discovered that she's 46% uh, Irish English. And yet, you know, she's, her mom's from the Dominican Republic. So, you know, we thought she'd be 100% Latina, but she's got, and, and so funny because Leanne is 43% Irish English. And so she's got a daughter-in-law who's 3% more, but uh, anyway, and so it's just, it's just kind of cool. And so people are finding you, you had no control. But can I just tell you, the devil knows that a house divided cannot stand. And let me just tell you, the reason, the reason it awakened, we don't back up from engaging and calling out is because there are people who are in political authority and they are wicked. And the reason they're wicked is because they get you and I to fight. They get people to, they divide people against one another because while we're divided, they keep taking more and more power and more and more authority. Their agenda is to keep us divided. And the way they keep us divided is they get rid of this thing because this is the great unifier. Can I tell you, the Bible says there's no such thing as races. There's one race, the human race. Races or racism is not a biblical concept. Nowhere in the Bible you find the word races. The Bible says we are all descendants of one couple, Adam and Eve. In fact, science now proves, tracing through the X chromosome, that we came, all humanity came from a single set of parents. Biology proves the Bible. The Bible says, regardless of melanin or tone or ethnicity, we are all one race. We are all made of one blood. But the devil knows that that is a fact. He knows that the gospel is for all people. But he has no leverage when we all see each other as brother and sister. So what he wants to do, is he wants to create division and chaos so he can keep coming in and seizing more and more authority and bringing you into subjection, but not on our watch. It's not going to happen on our watch. So I want you to know, I want you to know that you can be born in Germany, grow up as a migrant in Australia, be, be abandoned by your father when you go to, to Bible college and leave engineering. But this gospel, if you obey this gospel, it has power. It has transformation power. It has elevation power. It is a great equalizer. God can turn curses into blessings. He can bring transformation. He can bring revelation. I'm telling you, the gospel works. Somebody say amen. So, it says, so then it says, for there is born to you, to who? Yeah. To you. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. 
a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. So of all the things that God was sending, He was sending to you, to us, a Saviour. Because we need a Saviour. You and I cannot save ourselves. And you say, well, hang on, Pastor, you don't know me. I, I once trekked to the Tibetan Himalayas where I, I studied with Buddhist monks and we meditated. And I fasted for 365 days that year. I helped little old ladies across the street. I helped them with their shopping carts. And I don't just leave the shopping cart there. I collect all the other ones that have been put up on the curve. By, I bring. You can't save yourself. No matter how good you are, you can't deal with the fact that you have a sinful nature that pulls you away from God. It pulls you away from God. All have sinned. How many sins do I need to commit to, to be a sinner? Just one. Heaven is a place of perfection. And imperfection cannot get into perfection because otherwise it's no longer perfect. It, it defiles. So heaven is a place of perfection and none of us can perfect ourselves. I've got four kids. I didn't have to teach any of them how to steal. I didn't have to teach any of them how to lie. I didn't have to teach. I didn't have to gather. Kids, gather around, gather around. Guys, guys, listen. Um, this, I want to teach you how not to share your stuff. I've never, never said, hey, kids, listen. Whoa, whoa, we're going on a vacation. It's a four-hour drive. Gather around, gather around. This is what I want you to do. About every seven or eight minutes, I want you to yell out, are we there yet? And then if one of you, one of the other siblings, if you guys go, oh, how much further? If you guys can just do that like every seven or eight, it'll just make the so much more joyful. Then what I want you to do is I want you to poke one another. He poked me. No, he poked me first. And just, you know, and then what I'd love you to do is invade one another's space. And if you see a sibling that's got a toy that you want, snatch, snatch it off them. I didn't have to teach any of my kids how to do this. They just did it naturally. They just didn't. There were times we're driving and they are in, and I'm telling you, I'm like, right, I'm going to pull this car over and one of you is going to go to heaven right now. And he's like, honey, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. I'm like, I'm sure God's got exceptions. You know, it's like, and, and I didn't have to teach my kids how to do wrong. It just came natural. When Jesus was on the cross, what's interesting is that the religious Pharisees had exactly the same language as the passers-by, even one of the guilty criminals on the cross. The Pharisees said, if you are the son of God, save yourself. Others he could save, but himself he cannot save. Save yourself and we'll believe you. <laughs> you know, and Jesus on the cross. The Bible says the people passing by said, shaking their heads, said others he could save. He cannot save himself. And even one of the thieves on the cross said, if you are the son of God, save yourself. Like, he's like, uh, yeah, you kind of missed it. If you could save yourself, I wouldn't be here, Jack Wagon. The reason I'm on the cross is not to save myself. I'm giving myself because you can't save yourself. It shows you the deadness of religion if because religion believes through good works you can save yourself. The problem with the Old Testament is we have a, 
a new testament because the old testament doesn't work and it wasn't that god went "Mm, gabriel this is not working i've got a brand new idea that's not how it happened we have an old testament because god gave us his laws and his commandments and he said if you can abide by these if you can keep all of these then you'll enter into my blessing and we're like yes come on give me and the problem with the old testament was we were meant to come to an exhaustion where we realized god no matter how hard i try no matter how much focus no matter how disciplined no matter how serious how motivational you know i i i I can't i cannot fulfill i cannot keep all of your commandments somebody has to rescue somebody has to save that's why we have the new testament but god had to bring us because of our stubbornness to that point where we realize we cannot save ourselves you cannot so good yourself that that your sins disappear somebody has to atone somebody has to cleanse somebody has to cover somebody has to and so jesus christ came as a a savior if you needed a teacher he would have been a teacher only if you needed but he came as a savior because what we need more than anything else is salvation somebody say amen. amen and says this and this will be a sign to you this will be a sign to you you shepherds will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger uh, huh that's weird you're, you're telling me that we're going to find a baby all bundled up in swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths are the rags that they use to, to clean the milk after a cow's fed its young ones or even a, a baby lamb. They, they clean it up and they wrap it in swaddling cloths. So you're, you're trying to tell me that we're going to find a baby wrapped in rags lying in a feeding trough? What, what kind of stupid hospital has a feeding trough? And the Bible says, and suddenly there was around them, around the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So when the angels departed, the, the shepherds went to, to find this and they heard, or whatever, maybe, you know. And so they go into the inn, but not in the inn, out the back in the stable. Mary has just given birth to Jesus. She wraps him in swaddling cloths and she lays him in a manger like no crib for a bed there was no crib he was laid in a feeding trough this is so powerful because and just understand like i keep hearing this so so terribly uh preach that the reason the angels appeared to the shepherds was because of god's heart for the poor these guys had jobs they were employed they were shepherds they weren't poor and they weren't the only shepherds in israel in fact most of the shepherds lived up north in caesarea philippi or in galilee or in nazareth that's that's where they lived but but these shepherds were in in bethlehem why 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 did the angel appear to the ones in bethlehem that's a great question the reason is is because jerusalem is the city it's the capital and it's where the temple was and so so the temple could operate the high priest would twice a day in the morning offering and then in the evening offering would bring a lamb a one-year-old lamb male without blemish without defect 
faultless lamb to, to offer as a sacrifice so that Israel could have her sins forgiven and God's hand of blessing could remain on the nation. This would happen morning and evening, morning and evening, twice a day, every day. That's 104 lambs. Rather than hope that we could get the lambs down from right up north, Bethlehem was designated as a pasture where the shepherds provided the, the sheep or looked after the sheep to provide the lambs that was in close proximity. Proximity. It was just logistically easier. That's where they got the lambs. They got the lambs from Bethlehem. So that was the, the job. That's, that's without, you know, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That's without the Passover. And that's without people coming from up north so they didn't have to carry their lambs. They came down with money and they bought one of the lambs so that they could atone for their own sins, for their own household. It was all done here. So the angel appears to these shepherds because these shepherds are providing the lambs for atonement. And the angel is saying, all your labor, all your producing, all your striving, all your work is coming to an end in a good way because there is a lamb coming not from men but from God without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle and he is going to put an end to all of the rituals and all of the sacrifices because he will be a, a, a once, once only required sacrifice on the cross, on the altar where he would take away the sins of the world. What's so interesting about this is if you follow the story, this is in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was where David was born. David was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was even called Jesus, son of David. Now they said, you're going to find this is a sign. This is a sign. So signs are good things to follow. So, so this sign is in, in the city of David in, in Bethlehem. If you go and study the story of David, David, after he commits sin with Bathsheba and has her husband killed, his, his, his uh, kingdom is, is shaken. His youngest son, Absalom, decides he wants to usurp the throne. He wants to take the throne. And so he finagles his way into having the people put their trust in him. And David, rather than go to war with his own son, decides to just walk away from everything, walk away from the kingdom. And, and Joab, his commander, says, dude, what are you doing? You're just going to walk away from the kingdom, from the throne? You're the one that Samuel anointed. Nobody anointed him. And David's like, if, if you want me to go to war against my kid, that's not happening. He says, God put me on that throne. And if God is done with me, then so be it. But if God hasn't done with me, no matter how tightly Absalom tries to grip it, he can't with the arm of man secure that which is forged from God. So David, rather than go to war with his boy, he's a good daddy. He, he decides, I'm just going to leave. And if God is not finished, he'll put me back on that throne. I don't need to fight for it. The Bible says there's a guy called Shimei. Shimei follows David, cursing David and throwing stones at David. He's on a hill on the other side and he's cursing David and throwing stones at David. And, and, and Joab's like, he's now double ticked. He's like, man, do you want me to, let me take him out. I'm going to take, I'm going to take that guy. And David's like, just, just, you know, just leave him. You know, he's getting rid of all of his anger and, you know, half of the stuff he's saying I probably deserve. And, but when they, when they get out of the, the outskirts, the Bible says a man, an elderly man, an octogenarian, a guy in his 80s comes and meets him. The guy's name is Barzillai. 
Barzillai comes to, to, to David with donkeys and he comes to him with skins of wine and bread and water and pomegranates and figs and fresh fruit and, and all this meat. And he looks after David and he shows David different hiding spots where you can hide from the army because Absalom, even though daddy didn't go to war with him, tried to kill David, had sent his army out after David to assassinate David so he could secure power. David never fought. David never went to battle. But the long story short is Absalom ends up dying and God restores the kingdom back to David. When David is crossing back to go back to the throne, he says to Barzillai, he says, Barzillai, he says, come with me. You've been so kind to me and my men. I want to honor you. You'll sit at the king's table. You'll have a place of prominence and a place of significance. And Barzillai says, listen, I'm 84 years old. He says, my eyesight is dim. I can't even see properly to appreciate the beauty of a palace. He says, and at 84, my taste isn't what it is. I couldn't taste the difference between choice food and ordinary food or good wine or ordinary wine. He says, but I do have a son, Kimham. He says, would you take him and do whatever's in your heart to him? So the Bible says that day David took Kimham. And because David no longer lived in his father's estate in Bethlehem, but now lived in the palace, he gave to Kimham his, his, his house in Bethlehem. It's the same house that Jesse's father owned. Jesse's grandfather was none other than Boaz. So when you read about Ruth, when she comes, there's this vast estate. It's that estate was Boaz, Obed, Obed, Jesse. It was, it was passed down. This was the, the estate. If you read in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, it says that they came to, to um, Bethlehem and they stayed at the inn that belonged to Kimham. The inn in Bethlehem was David's lineage. It was Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. This was. So when Mary and Joseph, and what's interesting, if you read the book of Luke and read the book of Matthew, Matthew opens up with Mary's lineage. Luke opens up with, with Joseph's lineage. Both of them go back to they're both children of David. Joseph was a son of David. Mary was a daughter of David. That's why they were in Bethlehem because Herod had called for a census because they were both of the house of David. Here's where the story gets crazy. Mary is pregnant with Jesus Christ, the son of the son of David, they come to the inn that Jesus actually freaking owns. He owns by birthright. This is, this, this is, this is his inn. But John 1.11 says he came to his own and his own received him not. It was, it was prophetic. He would come to the Jewish people and the Jewish people were rejecting. The Messiah would come and Israel would reject the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. What bread came down from heaven in the wilderness? The manna, what does the word manna mean? What is it? Manna in Hebrew is, what is it? Because when the Messiah would come as the bread of heaven, they would say, what? They wouldn't recognize Jesus when he came. So it's interesting. The innkeeper says, there's no room for you in your own. Can I just tell you, you belong to him. You are his special treasure. You are his sons and daughters. But he comes knocking on the door of your heart. And most of us, like the innkeeper, say there's no room in the inn for you. 
the world says there's no room for you. I'm, I'm too busy chasing my life. I'm too busy chasing my dreams, chasing my aspira- aspirations. I don't got time for your laws. I don't got time for your, I don't got time to put you Lord. I want to be Lord of my own. We, we have no room. So they say, well, you, there's no room in the inn, but you can be born out the back in the stable. She can go out the, and so they go out the back in the stable. Uh, Jesse had eight sons. The youngest was David. What was David's profession? Shepherd. Guess who used to be out there in that stable? David. And when the shepherds come to the stable, Mary has given birth and she's wrapped Jesus in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. And the reason it was a sign for the shepherds was because they realized this baby wasn't born in the inn. He was born in the stable where the sheep give birth because this is none other than the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. That's why he appeared to the shepherds. That's why. Psalm 32 verse 1 says... Have a look at this, my favorite scripture, Psalm 32, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Point number one, your joy is fully paid for. The title of this message, excuse me, is On Earth As It Is In Heaven. On Earth As It Is In Heaven. Can I tell you, in heaven it's full of joy. In heaven, they don't even do joy reports anymore. You know, we do weather reports. Well, the weather today is going to be 74 and mild and, you know, there's a chance of an afternoon. Not in heaven. In heaven, they used to. They used to. You know, the joy report today is 100% joy. (laughs) Now, obviously, when a sinner gets saved, it's now going to be 150% joy. A whole bunch of people just got saved in San Diego. Woohoo! Because Jesus said there'll be more joy. In heaven. So heaven is already set on, you know, a hundred on, you know, the, the, the setting, the dial is on 10. But when someone gets saved, they, they crank it up to 11. So there's more joy in heaven, but heaven is a joyous place. Jesus is on earth as it is in heaven. So even though, even though we have the right in America, the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, while you're pursuing happiness, where are you going? I'm just pursuing happiness. I almost caught it the other day. I think it's over here. I think it's in this business deal. I think it's in this relation. Like, you know, while, we're, while, while, while you're pursuing happiness, you can actually pursue it with joy. You don't have to pursue joy. Joy is something that is in heaven that has been fully paid for to flow. When you receive Jesus Christ, joy comes because the fruit of the Spirit. Now, can I tell you, fruit is different to gift. The fruit of the Spirit, fruit is just something that produces. Did you know, how do you know if that's an apple tree or an orange tree? How do you know? By the fruit. Did you know I've never walked past an apple tree going, I wish I was an orange tree. I've never walked past an orange tree going, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to make an apple. I've also never walked past or through an orchard and heard heard the trees go. They don't, they don't have to strain to produce fruit. That's what they do. You don't have to strain. When the Holy Spirit fills you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, a fruit that just begins to produce in your life. 
And the reason it produces in your life is because Jesus already paid the price on the cross so that you can walk in joy. Now, let me say this. The, pr- the absence of joy is always the presence of sin. I found that the greatest joy thief is sin. Jesus died on the cross so that I could be blessed. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Jesus died on the cross so that I could have forgiveness. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I couldn't cleanse my own ledger. No matter how many good works I did, no matter how, I couldn't, I, I could not rub it out. But Jesus Christ, the innocent one, the most innocent human, died on a cross, the death that I deserved, and he made an exchange on the cross. The cross was a place of exchangement where the judgment that should have fallen on me for my sin instead was redirected to Christ and the blessing and the righteousness and perfection that Jesus earned, he put on me. So that when I stand before God, Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father with nail holes through his wrist. He has already atoned for my sin. So I stand there and when God looks at the ledger, it is completely clean. Now I'm aware I have to walk through this life aware of all my shortcomings but here's the thing in heaven the ledger says Jürgen is sinless Jürgen is all of his sin there is no sin there's no it is as far as the east is from the west I got to tell you if there is nothing else if I preach nothing else if there's nothing I'm so grateful that Jesus Christ broke the power of sin sin is a peace thief sin is a love peace sin is a joy thief Jesus cleansed cleansed us from our sin. He broke its power. He broke the power of sin. And with sin, sin never comes by itself. It always brings shame. It brings guilt. It brings condemnation. It brings regret. It brings remorse. It, 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 It robs life. It robs virtue. It corrupts your character. It steals your legacy. It... Sin is a horrible thing. Jesus Christ died on the cross to break the power of sin. It is fully paid for. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Number two, the product. The product. Joy is something that is produced. It's a product. It's produced in your life. How is it produced in in my life? I'm glad you asked. In uh, in Psalm 119, have a look what Psalm 119 says. Psalm 119.92 says, Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my afflictions. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. For by them you have given me life. Now, there's some preachers preaching this at the moment. They're, they're preaching that, hey, we don't preach the Old Testament. We don't preach the law of God. You know, we preach the New Testament. We preach grace. And God bless you. Knock yourself out. Well done. But I need you to understand that the, the old is in the new revealed because the new is in the old concealed. The, 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 the Old Testament, you know, you'll hear these preachers say, well, the Old Testament God isn't really the same God. Same God. If you can't see the same God, you probably want to just kind of, Tap out and let somebody else, because same God. But hang on, no, no, but but the law produces death. Paul even says so. Yep, you're right. Paul says the law produces death. But he goes on to say, so then is the law evil? No, the law is holy. Well, then why does it produce death? Not because there's anything wrong with the law, but because there's something wrong with me. Because of my sin, the law points out my sin and the wages of sin is death. 
So, well, then how, why would you preach the law then, Pastor Jürgen? I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus on the cross, if we're doing math, put the equation on the board and the law produces death. But through the cross, Jesus took the death quotient out because he died in my place on the cross. So now the law, which is holy, no longer produces death because Jesus died. So the death part's been removed. So now the law is like David wrote in Psalm 119. The law is a life giver. It produces life. It produces life in you. So I I recognize through when I read the Bible, the the, the Old Testament, the, the, the principles in there. So I used to live fearful. But now I recognize God doesn't want me to operate in a fear operating system. He wants me to live by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Fear, fear, fear and faith are magnets. Fear and faith are magnets. They're two operating systems. Can I tell you never, ever, 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 ever listen to fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Do you know there are 365 fear knots in the Bible? One for every day. God doesn't want you to live in fear. Fear is faith in reverse. Faith is like a magnet. Whatever you, whatever you believe for, you draw to you. Jesus says, Matthew, uh, Mark eleven twenty four. whatsoever things you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So faith draws to you. Fear draws to you. God says, I don't want you to live in fear because I don't want you to draw. Oh, I hope I don't get cancer. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We're going to go bankrupt. Oh, you know what? Have you seen the price of homes and say, we'll never own a... God says, what are you doing? Fear not, for I am with you. I've called you by name. Child, you are mine. When you walk through the waters, you won't be drowned. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned. For I, the Lord your God, am with you to deliver you. I'm taking you into a... Pro- so, so we're not called to live by fear. We're called to live by faith. As I began to... So now I'm saved, but I'm reading the Old Testament and no longer is it producing death because I'm no longer under the law. I've been saved because Jesus said, do not think, Matthew 17. He says, do not think, Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I came to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. The Bible says the handwriting that was against us, Jesus nailed to the cross. So all my disqualifications were taken away. But now the Bible becomes life-giving. I realize when I read the Bible, I realize that the children of Israel didn't make it into the promised land because they kept whining and complaining. So I began to realize that, hang on, whining and and complaining are incongruent with kingdom because whining and complaining have no faith in them. When you're whining and complaining, that's the language of losers, the language of victims. Whining and complaining tells, is literally telling God, God, you are smaller than my problem. When I'm whining, and you need to understand there's one sound that God does not like. They didn't enter the promised land because of their whining and complaining. Whining and complaining says, my problem and my circumstances are bigger than my God. If you say to me, hey, pastor, life's going so good for me. I just want my life to suck a little. What's the best way to insult God? I'd say, tell him that your circumstances are bigger than him. Brilliant. Thank you. I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to tell God my circumstances are so much bigger than you. And see how that gets. That's what happens every time you whine and complain. Whining and complaining. So I realized from the scripture, my God, then I realized that not all leadership is fair. No, I hope Pastor and Becky and John don't amen. But but we've been under leadership that wasn't wasn't always for Leanne and I. And we're like, man, why would God let? 
And then there were times where there was a sword in my hand where I could strike. And then I read in David where he says, far be it from me that I should strike the Lord's anointed. In fact, he just cuts the hem out of the back of um, Saul's garment. And then he follows Saul out and says, the Lord delivered you into my hand, but far be it from me. And Saul turns around and says, you're more righteous than I. I began to realize, I began to read. I got to tell you, my life was a freaking jacked up mess when I got saved. It was this that broke generational curses. My grandfather on my father's side was a violent, abusive alcoholic. My father hated his father, my grandfather. And he became the very epitome of what he hated. He became a violent, abusive alcoholic. So I hated my dad because he would come home drunk and beat my mother and beat me, my little brother. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to beat his head in. So I started learning self-defense. I started doing boxing. And then to numb the pain, I was getting drunk every week, spending my entire paycheck getting drunk. I had no idea that the very thing that I despised and hated, I was a generational cycle number three. My grandfather was a violent, abusive alcoholic. My father was a violent, abusive alcoholic. And now I'm getting drunk to numb the pain and I'm learning boxing so that if he, if he even looks sideways at mum again, if he lifts his hand again, I'm going to beat, I'll beat him senseless. You know what would have happened? I would have become the very thing that I despised. But thank God Jesus Christ stepped in and began to teach me through this word how to break generational curses, how to break generational cycles, so that today I can honestly tell you I love my dad, I pray with my dad, I've blessed my dad, I've forgiven my dad, I honor my father, and the generational cycle is broken when I look at my kids, when I look at my kids, what they're living in. So a lot of people don't understand the reason we preach the Bible, the reason we preach the Old Testament, the reason we preach these stories is because the cross has removed the death quotient and now they bring life. The principles of God are life. Somebody say amen. Number three. Number three is protection and preservation. Protected and preserved. What protects and preserves joy? It's very, very powerful. Watch this. Sometimes shepherds, sometimes shepherds, David was a shepherd. Sometimes a shepherd has to leave tending the flock in the green pastures and go into a valley and deal with a giant and go into a valley and deal with a Goliath. If there was no evil, if there was no devil, you and I wouldn't have to learn warfare. But there, there is a devil and sometimes you've got to take care of business. I don't like awakened church like they got Anthony Tremino. Like what's politics got to... It's because sometimes we have to leave the field and enter into a valley of the shadow of death where everyone's piping off and we're going to take out Goliath because we recognize that not everybody who occupies authority is a righteous person and not everybody that's in government is for you. There are people that exploit the poverty of the poor. They don't want to fix the homelessness. They don't want, they don't want to fix poverty. They don't want to fix the borders because 
they profit from chaos. And it's your chaos. They live in ivory towers. They live in big fat mansions with $25,000 fridges and, and you know, expensive homemade gourmet ice cream. They, they, they live surrounded. They tell you you can't have guns, but they live surrounded by armed guards and armed security. That, you know, but they make all these laws that, that punish and devote. So absolutely, you better freaking believe that we're going to get politically engaged and we're going to get involved. Because sometimes, sometimes to protect the sheep and to protect the land, I've got to walk into a valley of the shadow of death and take care of business, take care of Goliath. And so we're going to pull down principalities and powers and we're going to put righteousness in its place. But have a look at this. This is in Deuteronomy 31.29. And guys, I might, I think I said NLT. If you can put it up in the NLT. Uh, Deuteronomy 31.29. This is very, very important. It's very powerful. This came in my Bible study this last week. Watch what this is Moses. Moses is about to, he's about to go to heaven. He's about to, to go to heaven. He's about to die. And he's, these are his last words, his last interaction with Israel. And have a look, Morgan, what it says. He's, Moses says to the children of Israel, he says, I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and will turn from the way I have commanded you to follow. In the days to come, disaster will come down on you, for you will do what is evil in the Lord's sight. You will do what is evil in the Lord's sight. He says, after, after, after my death, after... Huh. The Bible talks a lot about the law of Moses. Moses and the prophets. And so whenever, whenever you see in the New Testament talks about Moses, quite often it's, also, it's talking about the Torah. It's talking about the commandments because the Ten Commandments came into the world through Moses. So Moses is saying, when I'm gone, when the Ten Commandments are gone, when the Ten Commandments are removed from your courthouses, when the Ten Commandments are removed from your universities and colleges, when the Ten Commandments are moved, removed from your education education system, when the Ten Commandments are removed from society, when, when, when I am gone, you will become utterly corrupt and do evil and destruction will come. Listen to me. Listen. Satan, the signature of Satan, he walks in, Genesis 3, introduces him. He's in a paradise garden. He's in a place of perfection. He's in a place of ambient magnificence. He's in a place of stunning tranquility. He's in a place where the presence of God would come and walk with Adam and Eve. Everything that they looked for, everything that they needed was around them. It was like Willy Wonka. How's that song go? Just look around and see it. Anything you want to be it. Whatever the song goes. They're surrounded by paradise. It is a paradise. But once Satan is introduced in the story, eviction, desolation, separation, shame, death, guilt, dishonor, hiding, figly, First children, Cain and Abel, murder one another. Chaos, pain, division, loss, grief. Satan, his signature is destruction. It's this word that is the great preserver. It's this, Moses said, when I am gone, you will be utterly corrupt. 
what is Awaken's mission? Our mission is to keep this alive in our generation, is to restore it back to our courthouse, is to restore it back to our universities, is restored back to our schools, restore it back to our education systems. Why? Because we know it produces life and the life that it brings is full of joy. You were created to walk in great joy. You were created to walk in great blessing. You were created to walk in great favor. Nothing will deliver you. Who was Moses? Moses was the deliverer. This law has the power to deliver you. This law has the power to heal. This book, the principles in this book have the power to bring salvation. It has the power to prosper you. It has the power of elevation. It has the power of restoration, provision, promise, delivering. That's what this Word does. That's why every week we unashamedly and unabashedly preach this Word. You know, pe- people always get, you know, bent out of shape. Oh, they awakened church. You know, they preach a prosperity gospel. We preach prosperity because it's part of the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah, but, you know, prosperity is all material things. Boris, just don't have any material position on earth because, you know, heaven. Nobody says you've got to keep it. Nobody says you've got to keep it. If you made a million dollars every day this week, and you're like, Pastor, I just made seven million dollars, but I don't, I don't need all seven. I'm telling you, we can help you spend it. There are other buildings, there are other locations, there are other things that we can do. We have five orphanages we look after in Mexico. We have eight villages that we look after in Peru. There's a world that is hurting. There is a world that is in pain. You better believe that God wants you to flourish because you're blessed to be a blessing. The only time you need to worry is when that blessing turns you away from God. Well, the Bible says how difficult it is for the rich. Absolutely. Because if your trust is in your wealth, it is misplaced trust. The Bible says you can't serve God and money. Exactly. So don't serve money. Serve God. Duh. It's pretty simple. You serve God and you make money your servant. Money was never meant to be your master. If money's your master, it'll flee from you. If money is your servant, it'll be attracted to you. Did you know that? If money has power over you all your life, it'll be repelled from you. But when you have power over money, it is attracted to you. Well, how do I get power over money? It's very simple. You make it your servant. How do I make it my servant? It's very simple. When the offering happens, does money tell you what you can't give? If money is telling, hey, what are you doing? Uh, uh, I was going to tithe. You can't tithe. Why not? gas in your car. Have you seen gas prices? Six twenty. You better just deduct that from your tithe. God understands. And and then you got rent and then you're going to go out for, you're going to go out to eat? Well, yeah, hello, dessert. And so, and so, so if money is telling you what you can and can't do, it's not your servant. There are times where I put an extra zero on my offering because in that season it was so difficult and money was telling me what I can and can't do with it. I'm like, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're you're telling me what? Now, my wife will tell you that what she struggled with for 20 years was the fact that she said I was arrogant. She says it's part of being German. So Germans apparently are quite arrogant. I'm not sure why they say this. I'm not sure why they say this. But anyway, she says you're arrogant German. But I'm telling you, when money was piping off about what I couldn't do, I'm like, oh, 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 you just went there? Right. I'm putting on the German right now. You know what I'm doing? You tell me I, can't, I shouldn't give in this offering. I'm putting an extra zero. 
<laughs> You've gone very silent, haven't you? And so... It's a, it's, 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 a, it's a kingdom principle. If money has power over you, it'll be the greatest way for you to exercise power over money is giving. That's why every week we teach on giving. I have no problem. Listen, God has no problem with you having things. He only has a problem with things having you. This book, oh my gosh. I got saved on a beach. Somebody gave me a Bible. I didn't want to read the Bible because... The only people I knew that read the Bible were the people that did Bible study at school and they were all nerds. They were nerds and they didn't want to be a nerd. And then this one day, I had this moment where I'd lost all my friends. I was just so persecuted. My my younger brother told me that he hated me. I felt like I had nobody left except for Jesus. And I ran into my bedroom and my Bible, instead of being in the drawer where I just put it because somebody gave it to me as a gift, and I thought, yeah, thank you, but I'm not reading it, was now out and it was sitting on my table. And this voice said, with a broken heart, this voice said to me, read it. And I'm like, oh God, I don't even know where to start. Read it. I'm like, well, I've never read it, but read it. I wouldn't even know. Read it. And I opened it up and I'd never read the Bible before. And when I opened it up, it fell open to John 15. And in John 15, the first words I read was, If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. If you still belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. But because I've chosen you out of the world, that is why the world hates you. I remember dropping the Bible, goosebumps, and I realized, oh my God, God is real. And He speaks through this Word. From that moment forward, I've been obsessed with this book. I'm not smart enough to have six campuses to lead such extraordinary people. But this word is, and all I know is if I obey this, it'll prosper. Listen to what God said to Joshua, and I'm finishing. He said, Joshua, meditate in this day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Always keep it in your mouth. Always speak and declare this. Then you'll make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet on earth as it is in heaven. You don't have to go to heaven to experience heaven. You can have heaven on earth. God sent His Word. God sent His Son. And God sent His beautiful Holy Spirit. And you have access. Come on, lift your hands high to heaven. Come on, who, who's like me? You're just grateful that your sins are forgiven. Father, right now I come against every sin, every lie the devil has put over these people. But somehow that, that drug, that alcohol, that, that illicit relationship, that, that thing, I break it now in Jesus' name. I declare freedom. I declare that you are forgiven. I speak to guilt, shame, condemnation. I break your grip. Remorse. You let them go. You let them go. They can't go back in time to undo that. But I thank you right now that Jesus died to wash away all our sin, past, present, and future. I declare forgiveness and grace flows today. Forgiveness and grace flows today. The Bible says if anyone is overtaken by a sin, if anybody is addicted to a sin, I break its grip now in Jesus' name. And I declare that you are loosed and free in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for joy overflowing, joy overflowing. We thank you that your word is a life-giving word. I break every generational curse. I break every generational cycle and I declare freedom in Jesus name everybody said amen amen wow what an amazing word I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did hey listen 
For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.